Get after it, PDX. In-depth conversations with inspiring people in the creative hotbed of Portland, Oregon, Portland, Oregon. and beyond. Now, let's welcome the host of Get After It PDX and the co-founder of Y East Wolfpack, Willie McBride. Hey folks, a quick word about our sponsors, the Amesur Distilling Company, a new distillery focused on bringing people together through great flavors and a warm environment. They love the way spirits taste, but more importantly, they love that they bring people together to make memories, build bridges, and crystallize the moment. Opening in spring 2020 in Northeast Portland. Folks, another awesome guest here on Get After It PDX. We have Paul Summers, who is also known as Quarenta Porter and also known as Forty. Yo, yo. Uh, he is an essential provider, which means he does a lot of cool things here in Portland. A uh, new friend of ours runs a lot and is a hip-hop artist, videographer, works with kids and does a lot of a lot of interesting, varied stuff. So we're really psyched to have you here, Paul. Forty. Thank you. What thank do you prefer you. to be called here on the podcast? You can call me Forty. Okay, we're going to call you Forty. <laughs> so Forty, again, psyched to have you here. Thanks for coming in today. We're at the Hoxton in the basement bar and uh, we want to go back in the day and hear your whole whole creation story. So, okay. let's throw it back there. Where uh, where were you born and raised? Yeah, I was born in Indianapolis, Indiana. Shout out to Naptown. <laughs> nice. You, uh, you have brothers and sisters? Yeah, I have um, two brothers um, and one sister on my dad's side. And on my mom's side, I got one brother and one sister. So, I'm the second oldest out of everyone. And how old are you now? I am just turned 26. 26. February. Actually, I forgot what the name was called, but it's uh, 0202 2020. Really? So it was a big year, <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> nice, nice. Well, you got youth on your side. That's good. Yes. And you're pretty new to Portland, correct? Yeah, I've been here for two and a half years. Two and a half years, yeah. All right. So, Indiana, do you have. Uh, you grew up in Indianapolis itself, like in the city? Yep, right in the city. Nice. So, what sort of. Was that like real super urban environment? Was it. Was that like. Um, well, I grew up in like all black neighborhood, and um, we were getting bused to um, public schools, townships. So it was like a thirty-minute bus ride um, to outside a, of your neighborhood to the school. Yeah, to a more diverse school with um, a larger population, and um, I feel like it was good on the growth of where I am now because if I was just sectioned down in that neighborhood all my life then I wouldn't have never made it here I feel like everything that I've done is it started back home so yeah. well exactly that's why we're that's why I want to hear all the details that led up to where you're at now yeah. so um how how did that opportunity come about to that's just how it was like you got everyone in your neighborhood was getting bus to those schools or were some kids staying in the local schools that weren't as good Oh yeah, there there was a lining. So um, the it's, it was all part of the Brown versus, versus uh, Board of Education. Um, it started back when my mom was out there in my same neighborhood that I grew up in. Oh, she grew up in the same neighborhood. Yeah, she yes. grew up in the same neighborhood. Um, grew up in my grandma's house, same as I, uh-huh. and um, we all went to Southport High School, 
and um, there's a couple neighborhoods over I mean literally in my same neighborhood within a couple streets over if you if you live on that street on um, Bancroft then you gotta go to IPS and you know that's mainly all black schools with um, very low graduation rate teachers don't really care about you as much as the word you know my sister she um, graduated from IPS school because um, they canceled the the ruling for Brown versus Board of Education is now over so it's up to the townships and the communities to vote on it if they want to continue to keep that because there's no more federal money for that in Indiana so they abolished that rule now so it's sad because my sister couldn't go to Perry Township like everybody else but um so like just literally from because you lived on the streets you lived you got busted out yeah. to this other better school yeah I was blessed <laughs> just cause of the wow. street I lived on so if you were a couple blocks over like you said it could yeah. have been totally different three blocks if I was three blocks to the left then wouldn't have been able to go to the township and you think that could have changed your whole life oh yeah I'd have never made it to Oregon at all never I probably probably wouldn't even be alive right now and even had this conversation yeah so do you know people like were you friends with people who didn't have that opportunity and had oh, to yeah. go to the other school yeah i mean and and it's crazy because it's not like the houses looked any different that the street was any different it was still an all-black neighborhood like it was no different but we just went to different schools so we definitely saw each other after school all the time and and weekends and we were always into stuff but you know that it was just that i feel like i don't know there was some teachers that actually cared about me and they wanted to see me make it, you know, and that also played a part, you know. So farther than my education, there was teachers that, that was like core supporters and they was like kind of part of my family. There was actually, some people was more important than my family, like my photo editor, you know, slash teacher, Mr. Kloffenstein, he's great. Uh, he teaches a lot of baseball students too, so you know he's had his time. And um, Sarah Berghoff, she was a speech coach, so she helped me get as far as I am with um, poetry, music. Um, so there's a lot like some of the art teachers had yeah. a big influence on you. Yeah, they had core values that and like resembled with me. Huh. And so what was, um, so what were like what were your parents doing? Did they? Was like the home life a stable environment, or was? Um, my mom had like a stable environment going on. She, um, I moved in with my mom maybe like at a young age. Mm-hmm. Once my brother was old enough to go to elementary school, because okay. my grandma was only taking, she could only hold down one at a time, mm-hmm. and then my sister came, and you know. That was her first, you know, grandbaby that was the youngest, so she took care of that. Um, but I was always around my grandmother, and um, then I would go live with my mom. Okay. And um, I would see my dad on the weekends. Yes. And then during the summer, um, I think what, like, opened my heart a little bit more was, like, when I started taking care of my uncle, you know, after football practices during the summer. Mm-hmm. You know, because he had got shot in his um, lower back 
right before I was born. My dad got shot in the eye, and my brother and his brother got shot in the lower back, and he's legally paralyzed and can't move from the neck down. So there was a lot of weekends where I would just spend time with him, feeding him, changing him, giving him his medicine, you know. Um, changing the channel for him while he watching two TVs. <laughs> he's not watching it, but he's listening to two TVs at the same two time. So I get to watch one unless he don't like that channel. And then, you know, we're watching something different. But, you know, that's how it was growing up. And so that was like just violence in the neighborhood? Like, oh, yeah. Gang related stuff? It, it was what? always bad in, in the neighborhood. And my dad actually lived one neighborhood over from my grandmother's neighborhood. It's just still along the same street. And the violence is the same. <laughs> the violence is, like, directly the same. And, um, yeah, it's been like that. Always been like that as far as I know. And it's been worse since I was in high school. And It's been since you've left there, basically? It's, yeah. It's gotten worse? Yeah, it's got worse. It was worse when I was in high school. Also, like, I think maybe, like, Ten of my friends died the first year. I went to like six funerals. You know, I had a lot of excuse absences for funerals in high school. If you like, go back and check my record. It's like I missed it's, a lot of days because people dying. Like it was to the point in senior year that I would not even, you know, I wouldn't even go to funerals. Like I missed a lot of people that I cared about funerals my senior year because it was. So this is all a like point. People getting shot type? Yeah, stuff? yeah, a lot of gun violence. Um, I think 2012 when I graduated high school was two people a year. I meant two people a day. It was like, so it's like it averaged. Like in your area, in the no, city? In, yeah, Indianapolis, yeah. It was so, it was similar to Chicago, um, but you know, we have less people than Chicago. So we were like back one and two number three most dangerous cities to be living in so So homicide rate was very high so you know it was it was mandatory for me to leave you know if I wanted more so obviously this is a a huge topic and a huge question but you're clearly a a thoughtful person and a a thinker right Um, especially like the art you do and poetry you write like you know you're a you're a thoughtful person um so clearly we could talk for hours on this topic but what do you like why what do you think are some of the factors that like cause people to be violent like that at that sort of rate or frequency or you know like obviously there's so many factors there's so just our our society socioeconomic things right you know systematic racism all this stuff going on but it's staggering, obviously, and I've never lived it or you know seen it firsthand. So, like, what what do you think about that? Like, why are people? I think it mainly those reasons. Um, I think it mainly has to do with like the poverty level and like the the very low chance of making it to be anything that you want. Like, there's a lot of things you can't be. Like, you know usually outside of my neighborhood or a lot of people neighborhoods um you have to be 
like a convict or something to have so many restricted access to things but where I grew up at it's like we were always restricted from a lot of things and a lot of people was poor a lot of people are still poor and they're like scattered for crumbs so, so then you think it's like a scarcity thing like yeah if there's not enough resources to go around there's, you get competitive you get you're angry you're yeah it's like I wouldn't it's crazy because I used to pray for like the older the older generation like the elderly in the neighborhood because when they get, when they buy things for you know their loved ones for around Christmas time was like was terrible like when you're coming home you're getting robbed before you even getting out the car and stuff it's like it's like that's what I think about it's like no one had a lot of things that they like cherished like everybody's just living for the moment I feel like a lot of people are just living for the moment no one's thinking about their five years playing like we used to when we were in high school and stuff no one like thinking about the next day they're literally thinking about today and how to make it through the day you know I have a lot of close personal people that's like that so you know um, that burden is hard because it it actually makes me want to strive and continue to do more until I can provide for people I want to be a provider for my neighborhood and for my family everybody that's always been there for me so that's like part of what you were saying that you're an essential provider is like you're trying to help people and provide things yeah right now it's not it's not physically with money wise because it kind of <laughs> economically I'm not there yeah. uh, stable enough for that but um, mentally I've always been there for anyone that's in my circle, you know. And obviously you're being, you're an inspiration in a lot of different ways. Right. And some of the ways we haven't even touched on yet. Yeah. <laughs> like all the running you're doing and uh, you sort of turned your life around and lost a ton of weight, so we're going to talk yeah. about that. Uh, so what, uh, so was there like a distinct point when you were growing up and you're seeing all these people die and I'm sure it was incredibly intense and impactful on you. Was there a point where you realized you needed to get out? Yeah. Was there like a specific point, or was it just over time you were like, I realized that if you didn't get out, it, it was not things weren't looking good. Um, I would say that it was junior year, and I was top fifty in the state for poetry ranked. Um, my my speech coach uh, Berghoff, she was telling me that. Everyone needs to get outside of the 465. You haven't lived your life until you're out. Because 465 is a loop, an interstate loop that goes around Indianapolis. Mm. So if you're literally inside that and haven't been out, then, you know, your views are never going to really change. You know, you're going to be close-minded to what you see, what you are, and what you think, honestly, is how I feel. And, um... I had a lot of traveling, not not really that much, but I had enough traveling because I had a godmom and she would take me to see other places and I've been to Kilmissey, Kilmissey, how do you say that place? Kilmissey, I don't know that one. Uh, Kilmissey, Florida, it's like outside Orlando, I've been outside Orlando, Florida. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Um, been to Georgia, 
you know, seeing Martin Luther King's home, a lot of, like, seeing how what other struggles used to look like and things like that. And I had the chance to open my eyes to see, like, what life is like outside of it. And I understood what Berghoff was telling me as a sophomore. About the necessity to get out and yes. see more. Right. So I applied to some schools, um, had a scholarship opportunity, but had a baby on the way that passed during senior year so I didn't end up going to any school once I graduated at first and then I ended up going to Terre Haute home of the sycamores you know mm-hmm. um, but before I got before I got to that point I didn't really want to leave it's not it wasn't about me leaving it was about me continuing to live and I didn't know how I was going to continue to live if I did not leave I continue to live like my life make to but be in, in to, terms of like have the money to put food in your mouth or like literally like survive like you're gonna get shot oh no surviving like I never I never imagined making it to 18 you know I was in I had just moved to Oregon when like what a month before I turned 21 so you know I live most of my childhood up to my adulthood in Indianapolis so I definitely never really feared for my life but I always never doubted me losing my life if you didn't make it out yeah Yeah, I definitely thought that I was going to be like just another person that everybody miss everybody mourning about you know now I'm just a lot of people miss me but we're not mourning because you know I'm I'm still living and you're doing great I'm doing great couple things real quick I want to jump back to so you said the experience of taking care of your uncle yeah so that started obviously you said he uh, got shot before you were born yeah but so, th- so then it was from a really young age that you were t- taking care of him yeah I so had, you said that opened your sort of helped open your heart tell me more about that like I mean I feel like it made me be more compassionate there was a lot of things that I didn't understand and when when you can't understand things, it makes it harder to accept things. It makes it harder to to view things and um, with empathy, you know. And um, I emphasize a lot of like pain through him, you know. And he had so many stories because he was wild, you know. He had, he lived a childhood up until he was shot, which was he was shot in high school, oh, and he wasn't expect to live. He was, um, he couldn't even write. You know, he had to talk for somebody else to write for him for his high school graduation paper. You know, yes. after coming out of um, the coma. You yeah. know, because he was in a coma for death, and he, would, the doctor said he was going to die, and he continued to live. He's still living to this day. You know, so. You know, I've always had so much empathy, and I've always thought that I was going to, if I go, that I would hope that it would be not like my uncle. I would hope that I don't have to have people taking care of me and stuff like that. I never wanted that, and I always knew what could happen. So, you know, yeah, I think now, like, um, part of... You know, me having empathy and 
when I was living in Portland at first originally couldn't find a job and stuff so you know I picked up what I knew and that was direct care you know so it's like I'm working but it's not like I'm working like everyone else because I'm helping I'm still helping the community you know I was helping elderly care people mm-hmm. taking care of them then I when I was in Corvallis I was helping teenagers that had just graduated high school with and comp you know, coherent disabilities and you know things like that mm-hmm. and it wasn't a big deal because I've already dealt with that, you know. Mm-hmm. I've already dealt with mental straining people, you know, so that wasn't hard. Yeah. And, you know, I just have an open heart for people like that. It's like, it's, it kind of sucks. I feel like a dog, like, a, like I have a dog because, you know, the analogy of having a dog in my head those people are less people friendly. They they care less about the people because they're dog lovers. Their dogs are so important, you know. And that's how I feel about the special needs, you know. Like they can't care for themselves and stuff, you know. So. So you have like so, a, you feel like you have a special connection with that oh, sort of population hell of people. Yes, hell yes, I love people with disabilities, helping them, anything like. If it's a lady like going slow across traffic and the lights about to turn red, fuck it. I've I was faced for death anyway. I'll stand right there in front of her in that car just cause you never know. Like like people's in a rush and stuff, but yeah. you know, the lady's moving slow. She's uh, she's a little slower than everybody else because she got her cane, but it's gonna yeah. be okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? But nice. you know, I also develop like um, a sense of conflict resolution doing mm-hmm. things like that because you know um, I dealt with people with PTSD and um, other axes that was like difficult to deal with for most people you know when they call them crazy and stuff but you know I don't really think they're crazy they just have things going on with them and you got to have an open heart and be able to accept that and work with those people mm-hmm. so you know even to this day I'm I'm com- helping in the community and I actually looking for DSP work you know for for videography because that's what I aim for you know help sorry what is DSP uh, direct care so it's um, like care provider that's okay. what I was yeah. doing yep. in Portland I'm basically providing care for elderly Providing so you're care looking for, for more of that as yeah. a position, yeah. I'm looking for that as like with within to film because you know I still have a heart for those kind of people, you know. So combining some of these passions, right? Yep, great. Speaking of passions, I love how you casually mentioned that you were you know fifty top fifty of poetry <laughs> yeah. in the state of Indiana in high school. Yeah, two how? years back to back, senior year also. Nice. Yeah. That's impressive. So, how did you get in into the written word? How when when did that come into your life? Well, um, I had to take speech to graduate, and I was always making music. And freshman year, I think I was I don't know how many classes that between the funerals and classes that I wasn't having, like the. Um, 
acceptance rate, accomplishment rate that I wanted in my head that I thought that I was like that I feel not having the success level like that I wanted to achieve within certain classes yeah. made me just sit back and start writing lyrics like I was doing in middle school and there was a lot of lyrics like a lot of pages and a lot of notebooks that I was just writing when I was in classes you know so basically you sort of detached disengaged a little bit with the schoolwork right you were going through all this heavy stuff funerals you're dealing with classes you're struggling with so you sort of like got a little defeated and then naturally I imagine a lot of the lyrics are coming out and the words are coming out because you got you're dealing with so many emotions you got to express yourself right so much on my mind and the teacher is teaching and I'm just writing lyrics (laughs) and um, when I end up taking my speech class you know I think I would have like a C, but my my teacher, she saw so much growth in me. She's seen what I was like wow. capable of doing, yeah. and she's like, she wasn't accepting it. And that's, I feel at this point, I feel like it's okay to say that she was not accepting me like being a C average student, you she know. Knew you had more. She knew I had the potential to be all I can, yeah. and she was like, could you stay after school one day? So I ended up staying after school. And then she was like, I think I want you to be on the speech team. You can get extra credit points if you do it one time. Mm-hmm. So I went to a speech meet. I was really good. <laughs> and um, I just kept it going from there. I decided to stay with the team and be a part of them. It was like another bonding thing once football was over for me because I had got injured uh-huh. and it's like I'm 450 pounds and you know just trying to keep it together and not drop out of school with everything going on so there was a lot of suspensions also that you were getting suspended from oh, school oh yeah fighting and a lot of stuff so um i was you know because i was a football player i was pretty good you know a lot of those things was waived a lot of those suspensions Uh, were because you were on the team yeah because i was on the team a lot of those got i got away with a lot of things as football players do but i realized once i wasn't on the team anymore after i got injured that I didn't mean shit to the coach. <laughs> and um, I got suspended a couple times. And um, if I wasn't on the speech team, like, I probably definitely would have dropped out because, like, it was one of the things keeping me together. It felt like, you know, another extensive family. Like, yeah. So not, not only the purpose of what you're doing and writing and enjoying it, but also the the group aspect of yeah. feeling like you had a place. Right. Yeah. And I was the only black one on the team that lived in that neighborhood, you know, so I kind of felt like I was... It, it kind of sucked sometimes, but sometimes I felt special, but then at the like moment... Like you were representative? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I felt like I was way. the neighborhood ambassador. I was the ambassador. I spoke for the neighborhood. Yeah, like, giving my people a voice. <laughs> right, my exactly. Neighborhood a voice, yeah. And, you know, because there was a 30-minute bus ride... 
between between communities, um, the south side of Indianapolis and the east side of Indianapolis, and um, you know, speech class was over, and I would have to I ride the bus with the football players. You know, it's after school still, but sometimes I'm there longer, so then I would have to ride by myself. And then on the weekends when we had speech meets, I would ride by myself. So you know, a lot of that. I think I took fuel to that and it made me feel a certain type of way where, you know, I was more engaged. It made me way more engaged in a lot of things because I was com- like in the... Like com- you had more of a purpose because you had to put in the extra work to get there alone. And right. Do this thing. Right. Put your heart into it. We were competing against like top schools you know, really? but they had large amounts of black people on their speech team. Like Ben Davis High School, they're phenomenal. Like they have people that's like they're like they have more credentials. So what kind of poetry than, was this? Uh, this is like slam poetry. I was you know, say, is this yeah, like, <laughs> this was going down. I was I was doing it. <laughs> this is like high energy. Oh yeah, the first the first one was word style. the first one. I was more like a ladies' man kind of thing I had that thing going on and my title was can I get your digits and you know it was a lot of slam Sheehan and Kanye West and fabulous I was it was it was a lot you know but then after the next year I wasn't I wasn't satisfied because I, I had too many single rides alone but uh-huh. I wasn't number one when it comes to poetry though throughout the state because there was other people and they had they had done it for a long time so that was your goal was to be number one oh yeah it's always to be number one (laughs) like my birthday is 0202 like the number one thing I want to do is be number one (laughs) it's like you're like enough twos in my life yeah I'm always with the twos like it it equals it equals up but at the end of the day like I want to be number one and I always have that drive. So, like, I'm never going to settle. <laughs> it's like you always got to keep going. And just being that one person on the bus, it made me like, all right, I see what I have to do. I know what I have to do. I have to I have to change what I'm speaking about. And I have to put more emphasis in it. And I have to put more energy in it. And I have to, like, go all in. And that's and so what you I said did. you had to change what you were speaking about? Yeah, I mean, because... In what way? I just... The poetry that I was doing, it was just like... It was flirtatious, just, you know, and and speaking in a certain way, but... Like, you felt like the subject matter had to change? Yes. Because, like, to, to better connect with your audience? Yeah, to be to be number one in the state of Indiana for poetry, because... You had to be more, like, approachable. All the, all the Ben people. Davis kids, they were talking about, like, slavery and... Um, having your belt up, uh, up of extra pants is just like a part of their speech. But like that was the part that you know stuck with me. Like the things that they were saying and how they were saying it. You know they were very theoretical. It's like they're they're already in theater. You know, like mm-hmm. they've done these things before. But me, I'm just you know. <laughs> From the neighborhood, and I mean, did you feel like, judged like that? 
I mean, like, I the, did. The stuff you were talking about, people were going to... I didn't. I wasn't really dressed up as much as everyone else. Like, everybody had really fly fits. You know, it took me even... I wasn't even at that... Oops. I wasn't even at that point until my senior year. Like, when somebody had bought me a suit, you know? Somebody had... I think it was my my third grade teacher... She had came to a couple of my speech meets. So, you know, there was teachers that I had grew up with and, like, kept up with me because they saw, like, the progress that I was working with. And I don't know if they saw the vision of me, like, being something else or, like, me trying to change. Mm -hmm. But they were always in my corner. And it felt great, <laughs> you know. But the first year... You know, it was just, I was just at it, you know. I just wanted to do it because, you know, it was another outlet that I needed. It was a needed outlet. Yeah. Especially after being, you know, I popped in the knee from football and not, and my doctor telling me that you're not going to be able to play football in college. You actually need to lose a lot of weight if you want to not have arthritis in your knee by the age of 25 and I'm 26 now so you know I beat that statistic <laughs> yeah we got to go back to that you, you casually rattled that off that you were 450 pounds yeah it's hard to imagine looking at you right now right <laughs> so clearly there's a, a story there what uh yeah. so when do, I mean again it's really hard to imagine you being weighing that much when did that sort of start progressing do you, you know I were you always a bigger body or oh, yeah when did it really start start developing for you in that way i think i start i feel like i was average with everyone else when i was like third fourth grade and then maybe after that it's just like start loading in you know and um could be the food at the schools i don't know like when was the first time you remember feeling, feeling big. overweight or feeling big? Or like, we're, I'm sure at some point you got comments about people yeah. saying shit to you. Or. Yeah, I feel like, was it fifth grade or sixth grade? I got in like three or four fights like about being called out of my name, fat, big motherfucker, and all kind of reckless names and stuff. Yeah. Um... I just felt like people wanted to pick on me. And I always felt like that through high school. I think that was why I was in so many fights too because a lot of people feel like you know you're you're more of a intimidative person if you can pick on a big guy. But I always had that thing about me where it's not no, I'm not the one. <laughs> and you know, I've like not the one to be messed with. Exactly, <laughs> and I think that was like. It's like some some somebody would try to prove their toughness by messing with you. Right, you would be like hell no. And and I, and I naturally wouldn't take that when there's people that do, and that they're known as being the bigger person. But <laughs> in my head, that wasn't the touch. That wasn't the thing at all. Like you weren't gonna take shit. No, I wasn't taking none of that. Like, 
if you if you talk bad about me, okay, we can go there for a second. We can all join. It's all fun and games. Ha ha he he. But don't put your hands on me. And a lot of people like when you give them that response back, you know, like when you're They're joking with back it. with them, they can't take that. A lot of people can't take jokes, but they can give them. And that's it's it really sucks being bullied when you're when you're a child because you have to defend yourself and if you don't then you continue to get bullied especially where I come from and that's just a big no-no there was plenty of times that I've been picked on and beat up but you know you gotta fight regardless <laughs> because you you can't be a, you can't be big and soft where I come from ain't no such thing as big and soft you can be soft but you can't be big and you can't be soft it doesn't go together so it's like, you know, these type of things that you grow up learning, you know, is is bad when you when you open your mind and you see what the world really is, you know. You mean you think it's bad as in it's not ideal, right? To the, grow up with some of these these ways of life, yeah. These when are, you get later, you realize that the world's a much bigger and more accepting place, and right? Exactly. Yeah. And it's crazy, like. If I grew up in Portland, I know it would be much, much different, but, you know, I feel like it's it's been a beautiful struggle along the way, so it's been amazing, but I still remember. I still have pictures I post in high, from high school, you know, from prom. I was huge. But so that was like, so high school was you hit your, your max. Oh, yeah, I hit a big peak, 450 after football. I feel like also not being in football maybe that's when another hundred pounds that came in I think I was like around three something when I was actively playing football and then afterwards you know a lot of because you were still that big body type right. but then you stopped all the activity basically. I stopped all the activities no more exercising and then it just got bigger right just got huge yeah you know so when was the what was the turning point? Like, when did you wake up and say, "I gotta change this"? Well, so the doctor told me that in high school. That was sophomore year. I really didn't listen to him for two years, but <laughs> saw him again. It's like, you know, we're still having the same conversation about my knee, and it's like, well, that would get better. That and your snoring, well, both of those would ease up if you lose two hundred pounds. And I'm like... Just, you know, so easy, just 200 pounds. Right. I'm like, well, that's not going to happen. So do you have another thing? And he gave me these things, these papers about nutrition and fruit. And I'm like, is he serious? I don't... That's not going to work. And so this is after high school, the year after high school, before I ended up in Terre Haute. Um, I took six months off before I decided to go to school because um the death of my child and um it was hard it was it was really hard because um at the time i didn't know where my life was heading i was still having thoughts of dreams and thoughts about dying you know sometimes i even didn't even want to be alive you know did you ever like think about hurting yourself or was yeah yeah of course i I definitely did a lot of times and um damn (laughs) 
all good. <clears throat> yeah, I definitely did a a bunch of times, um, but I never followed through with it, and yeah. that's the important thing. Yeah. And um, luckily, I I had my family there at the time. Yeah. And um, I, my brother, me and my brother was both supposed to have a my oldest brother. We was both supposed to have a child at the same time. Like around the same months, yeah. him in November and mine in December. Yeah. So when his baby came, I held her and, you know, I moved in with him and, you know, I decided to help him and his his wife. Yeah. And, um, you know, I couldn't really find a means to continue living and pushing on. <laughs> it was crazy, but. Um, you know, I just I just continued to work. I was at UPS for two years, um, throughout high school and after high school, and um, I was employee of the month a couple times because I was just working so hard. Just yeah. that was the only thing left. Just that in my music yeah. after high school. You know, a lot of people finish high school and they don't know like what's their next steps. And I was definitely at that point. Yeah. And um, couple near-death experiences so so was it hard so you said you moved in with your brother who had, had just had this baby mm-hmm. and so yours had just so were you with this woman who was carrying the child you said you lost this child yeah we we have separated okay yeah she's we, we're still close friends but it took a while, you know, for us to grow up because we were really young when everything happened also. So that yeah. plays a, a major key in uh, the growth of your life. Yeah. But yeah. so was it hard seeing your brother have this child? It was extremely. It was... But once he came over and put my niece in my hand, I'm like, yeah. wow. You know, I just instantly cried because... Yeah. You know, everything that was going on, the death of mine also, but, you know, I felt like this was another chance, and I can just keep going from here. It's like the the energy of that birth. Yeah. To help inspire you to keep pushing right. in your own life. I, I didn't even realize that, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. really, my niece was, was a key figure huh. at the time, and um, yeah, I just kept working at UPS. And that was helping me lose a lot of the weight too. And then I you're being active, you're walking around, right? And delivering. No, I was um in the the trailer, loading them. You know, oh, like in the building Tetris, loading stuff. Yeah, oh, building Tetris. We were building Tetris, and it was fun. <laughs> I was, uh, cause I'm so competitive. You know, I got to be number one. I got to be number one. And they put me on a difficult one, a difficult um area where you know expectations was high and demand is high too so you got to like be moving really fast uh-huh. and um my packages per hour was just amazing and every day it would get faster and faster and it's like who's this guy <laughs> like why is he working so hard he's, he's getting paid the same amount <laughs> uh-huh. but that really didn't matter to me because you know i'm just you know, something in my head just keep me going. I don't know. It just had kept me going. Mm-hmm. And then... And so you're losing weight. 
Yeah, and then all of a sudden, I woke up one morning. My brother was talking to me about like being big, and I told him I was gonna start running. <laughs> and and the apartment complex he had, it had maybe um, I would call it like a third of a track. So you run around probably twelve times. You might get a lap or something, but that's that's what I was thinking. So you know, did ten in the morning. Then, Ten laps, these little mini laps. Yeah, some little mini laps. And then, eventually, I would do it until I got tired. And How then, long did that take? Well, so obviously, at first, it was probably not that long. Yeah, at first, I had to... At first, I was running slash walking. I had to walk it off. You know, I was trying to just build myself. Mm-hmm. And it's crazy because it's like I never had the training to, like, just get to it. But... I just automatically had it built in my head the whole time, didn't even notice. So you listen to music and stuff? Oh yeah. I was listening to music, playing music and running and I never had the running shoes, just had some shoes and I'm just running around the court every morning. And sometimes my friends would come over and they would see me. It's like, you ready to go do this? I'm like, all right, hold on. I gotta get my morning run in. And they would literally run with me for a second and then stop and watch me run to see if I'm going to continue running and how far will I go. And so I they feel were like, like testing you almost? Yeah, they were like, testing me and that really inspired me though. So you're like, yeah, I'll show them. What's yeah, up? for sure. You know, I got healthy and went to Terre Haute. I didn't run for another year and a half. Oh, so then you stopped running. Yeah. So that just sort of helped help lose some weight kick yep. you off on a better path but right then you stop. made me feel a little bit better you know okay. and then went to college town um it wasn't really for me out there it's a lot of parties and police racist police out there very terrible okay. uh driving while black is a is a real thing in Terre Haute Indiana mm, a lot of places unfortunately yeah but in college towns it's kind of College towns where it's like really, they aim for that, you know. Some of them really aim for that, especially if you're not like, you're not one of the stars of the over there. That's keeping the team paid, then you know. So, I end up being out here in Oregon, and yeah, how how that opportunity come up, or how do you? That's I obviously have, a long move from from Terre Haute. Yeah, so Terre Haute. I was going to school and doing caregiving because okay. I needed needed um, the money and um, I transferred from UPS and it took them like five months for the transfer progress because it wasn't a facility, it wasn't a big warehouse. Mm-hmm. So they were changing my job position and um, I just needed money then. So, you know, I was determined to find a job. I found a caregiving job, picked up a DSP and was working for the elderly care and before I knew it I had um I met this friend and she's from Oregon and um, her and her husband came really good friends with them they were probably in their 30s (laughs) but you know I was just I'm like an old soul so I guess they were just like vibing with me healthy like 
they thought that they they saw something great in me too. A lot of people saw uh, yeah, lot great of things in me, oh, and man, I just that's why we're tight. right. Yeah, you know, I don't even ask people sometimes. Like I just notice, you know, I just notice they around, you know, and I respect that, you know, because I need that, and it's real. Yeah. Um, but yeah, when things were going around in Terre Haute, there my friend Joey and Kira, they're from Oregon. They was out there in Terre Haute. And he was like, dude, just go to Oregon. You don't got to deal with this stuff, man. <laughs> just, it's amazing out there, you know? And I took that to heart because, like, when people tell me something, like, I feel like you're either saying it for your good or you're saying it for my good. And I knew that he was saying it for my interest. I knew that he had said that and, he, and it had came out of care. And I applied to uh, Southwestern Oregon down in Coos Bay. And shoot, it only took them a week to give me an acceptance letter. So I, it was middle of the term. Um, so you transferred to school. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Definitely, definitely had to. It was a mandatory move. Um, it was during Christmas break. So it was a wild ride <laughs> coming to Oregon on a Greyhound um, mm. for New Year's Eve. Oh, day before New Year's Eve and getting in there and New Year's, I meant leaving the day before New Year's Eve and getting there January 2nd. Did you know anyone? No. So you just got on a Greyhound from yeah. Indiana. Didn't even have the holidays and campus like, view. You didn't know anything. You didn't know anyone. Nothing. I you did my research. All the way basically across the country. Yeah, I did research about Coos Bay, the history, southwestern Oregon. You got some prefontaine action, right? Oh yeah. From Coos Bay, right? Oh yeah. I've some I good definitely running inspiration for you. Oh yeah, definitely the first day I went out there. Um, the next morning when I woke up and got signed in my um, dorm and got all my stuff set, I ran through that shower, and I'm like. Pull up Google Map. I was 1.5 miles away from the beach. I ran to that beach. <laughs> I'm like, I need to go see the water now. <laughs> this is what I've been waiting for see, all my life. Oh, yeah. yeah. And it was crazy. It was so beautiful. I love Coos Bay to this day. It's so pleasant and quiet. Like, there is not a better quiet town I've been to. I've not been <laughs> to all the quiet towns, but Coos Bay is top of the list if you ever get a chance was that one of the first times or let's see uh like before that experience had you been amongst uh, in natural settings where it was quiet and beautiful no it was always loud i just think yeah like growing up in in the city yeah. of Indianapolis it's, it's and loud it's in the midwest in general there's not sirens a guns clapping like no it ain't never it's never quiet. In Terre Haute, it was maybe Sundays. It was a little quiet because it was campus, and I was in a library on Sundays. <laughs> um, but not like out, like standing oh no. on the coast looking at the no, ocean. nature, the ocean. So pleasant. Like, it's had a big impact. Yeah, it changed my life. Like, yeah. you can't go back. Like, I've, I've been back so many times, and it feels like I'm more caged than anything. It's like I need peace and serenity, and I don't I don't have that back home. Uh-huh. So I have loved ones back home, but don't naturally love it. Yeah. They don't love it, so how could I? You know. 
So how long are you in Coos Bay? So I was in Coos Bay for six months, two terms, and then I made it up to Portland. And um, that's when I got back into the running again. I, I don't know if it was um, maybe facing homelessness and going to school. Um, it was like a burden. And um, then I ended up moving into this place and um, the, we ended up moving into this place and um, they ended up going up for sale. <laughs> so we all had to move out and um, it was just terrible. I was going to a lot of place to place and the way that I would stay clean, you know, was staying in the gym. You know, I had to make an alternative, basically. And if I'm going to go to the gym, then I got to work out. It's what I'm telling myself. Because I didn't want to, like, I didn't want people to notice. Obviously, this guy's just using the gym to take that, a shower, or right? Something, but he's not never working out, right? He's yeah. he's always here. He's taking a shower every day, but he's not so getting it know. in. They would know that. Yeah, so I started off in the treadmill and went across to uh, the track at the Roosevelt. Is that Roosevelt next to PCC? I'm not familiar with the schools. Uh, yeah, then I went to the track field next to PCC's campus. Mm -hmm. And did some laps, and eventually I, I just couldn't take the air inside the gym anymore. It was just like dirty air coming in from the vents or something. It's so hard to breathe. And when I go outside, it's just beautiful and fresh air. So I just started running outside more and more, and then I start getting longer distances and then I'm like you know what maybe I should do a couple 5k races and I did the first one I did was the MLK dream run okay and I'm like yeah I just did a run for a good cause <laughs> and and that was the start of it <laughs> that oh, was really? the start wow. of it the MLK dream run because I was running for causes at the start and I'm like okay so when the running became about more than just you, even in your own health yeah. journey, then you attached even more to it. Yeah. Huh. And after that, um, there was a couple more, the like community-based oriented, like um, the ORRC, Oregon Road Running Club. They had a race, and if you volunteer, then you get a free race, free 5K race. And, you know, I couldn't afford all the runs at the time, so definitely <laughs> volunteered and got to run the race and you know then I joined the club I'm like this is a good running community you know so then I just started traveling <laughs> went to LA did a half marathon there you know that was fun did a couple did my second annual um, Seattle Locks marathon half marathon that was really fun I think I'm gonna do that every year. <laughs> it's a now. We'll just get a quick tally at this point. How okay. many half marathons have you done? I've done four half marathon races. How many five. marathons? I've done five half marathon races. And full? 
I've done two full marathon races. Including last weekend with us. Yeah. Well, we didn't race, but yeah, we did. We Wait, did was that one of them or is that the third? No, nah, that was, uh, that would be the third. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, we just did amazing 26-mile loop. Yes, through Portland. 16 miles of tough trail, 10 miles of road. You rocked it. Yeah. And then, obviously, it seems like you're doing races all the time, so you've probably done tons of shorter races. Oh, yeah. 10Ks, 5Ks. I've also joined the cross-country team for PCC, so I'm doing, like, more 7Ks and 10Ks now, and, yeah. you know, but I mainly just love running this. It helps me clear my head, you know. I'm, it's a lot of times when I have a lot on my head and, you know, the anxiety is building up. It's like the opposite of procrastination, you know. Um, sometimes because it's stuck in your head and you want to accomplish these things and you know this you have a certain time frame and deadlines and everything's going on but you still can't work at it and then it's just anxiety building up and it feels like sometimes when I tie on my shoes in the morning tie up my shoes in the morning you know stretch my arms out open the door and take off you know, a lot of that stuff clears out. With the anxiety about whether you're going to accomplish this thing or when yeah, you're going to accomplish that thing. Everything like <laughs> finals. Oh, I get these finals done. Oh, I got to edit these videos. Like so many things. That's like day of. Sometimes you can like day of jitters. You know, yeah. and things that's even a month away. You're still thinking about. That's like, oh, I need to hurry up and get this done way before the deadline. Cause I hate procrastinating, but I'm a great procrastinator if I if I do it right. <laughs> but I want I want to be better in life, so you know you gotta have more time for these things, and that's why I need to clear my head. Well, basically, yeah. it's a fine line because you're saying right. You don't want to procrastinate and put it off too far. Yeah. But you also don't want to be anxious about getting it done too fast. Yeah. So it's like you just want to be content with the process and try to just relax and just accept right. right it's just mainly overthinking like it's like lack of confidence sometimes it's like sometimes you're so confident that you lack confidence and that's the like i think that's where i get my confidence is because i lack the confidence that i can actually do this but it's like I'm proving it to myself. And you make up for it because you're like, I'm going to I'm like, I did that shit. <laughs> it's like, wow, I really did that because I didn't think I could do it, you yeah. know? It's like I'm making my body do things that I, I didn't see or heard other people do, you know? I mean, I think we see that a lot. Like, you hear about Damian Lillard, right? He's like, right. he's playing with a chip on his shoulder. Right. That people said he wasn't going to be that star or whatever and he's like hell no I'm gonna show you yeah yeah exactly feel like Peyton Manning had the monkey on my back <laughs> yeah exactly I remember those words it was the great goat <laughs> so you're in Portland now full yeah. on you've been here for a few years you're running like a madman <laughs> hopefully not too much you gotta keep not it sustainable right. keep it sustainable you're still a young man but uh so you're primarily now, besides all the running, you're doing videography, mm -hmm. and you are a hip hop artist. Yes. Record, Corenta Porter. Yes. Forty. So tell tell me a little bit more about the music right now. What's going on? Um, the music is like full of just 
similes and metaphors of life how to make your way around it also it's like everything that I've been through without extra details but like stories and like great vibes and you know motivation feels like the music that I'm making is it just keeps taking a turn more and more I run like I've been making the running analogies it's, it's like it's getting up there right now where it's like I've went from talking about running to core fitness and meditation and getting my breathing right and stuff like that like things that people need to be working on is like it's things that I'm doing is like I just continue to say in my music and that ties into being the essential provider it's yeah like some of the stuff you want to communicate with your music is things that you believe are healthy for people and healthy for communities and right essential stuff right yeah. and and with the videos it's like well with the videography it's a lot of work but it's um it's paying off because it's a lot of meeting people and then a lot of people wanting to work with me and want to work on my projects because I'm overloaded with the music so it's like it's either I'm being shot or I'm shooting yeah. in terms of a camera yeah. <laughs> and it's like it's good because it's keeping me active and also you know it's it's driving me towards the career I want you know I'm living my passion I'm following it which is, do you have a vision for a, a career that's different from now? You know, is there anything specific you're aiming towards? I mean, I've. It seems like no matter what I do, I always end up entertaining people. <laughs> so it's like, I'm um I'm a great performer. So I I love stage presence. You know, if if I had to give it, put all my ducks in. And one basket for those eggs to lay. I would mm. put all the eggs into music. Okay. But, um, you know, right now it's just hopeful thoughts. I, I got a lot of music still coming. I just released the album February 2nd on my birthday. Nice. You know. 0202. 0202. 2020. <laughs> it's crazy. Dub, so dub. What's that album called? It's called NBH40. NBH40. Yeah, it's entitled... Um, 40 from MBH uh, neighborhood he's you know uh, he's a neighborhood guy I think my next one might be called neighborhood ambassador or student housing I got a couple I got a couple projects that's queued up and I just need dates for them yeah. I don't want to overwhelm people with good music I want them to soak space it up out, space it out. so it's, how many albums do you have out right now um, I think I'm on album six. Six. Yeah, I think I'm on. I think I released five, and I'm working on the date of album six. Wow. So this is not like a couple albums. Like you're like pumping these things out. Oh yeah, within the last year. But these are all things that I've always wanted to do. So yeah. it's like. It's inspiring. Yeah, I always wanted to be like Little Wayne. Um, not like Little Wayne, mm. but I remember my mom taking me to the mall. The the target inside the mall and she would grab a CD from the shelf and it would have Little Wayne's name on it and me witnessing that like sparked something where I wanted that same thing and I know times has changed where people not really 
buying albums off the shelf mm-hmm. but like for the fact that my music is in stores and like Wayne just released the album last week and I didn't know this I'm like wow we released the album in the same time frame I feel feel big <laughs> but so where's your music where can you get it yeah it's on Apple Music um, everywhere it's on I like to say Spotify, Apple Music, Spotify, yeah, everyone likes Amazon. The Apple, you know, it's, yeah, seems extra legit. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, cool. I'm everywhere. YouTube, I even it's got all some. It's all under Porter. Yep, what? it's a uh, forty in Spanish. If you don't know how to spell it, Porter <laughs> yeah, is forty can, in Spanish. Yes, yes. Awesome. So we're sort of winding down here, getting towards the end, unfortunately. Words. Um, so we're gonna get finished with the question I ask everyone. So clearly in your life you've you've overcome a lot of challenges. You at one point weighed 450 pounds and now you are 205. 205. So almost inconceivable that you've made that transformation. Absolutely incredible. Thank you. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah, obviously there were other challenges like you talked about earlier and you know making it out of your hometown neighborhood that was, you know, the future looked a little bleak. Right. So those are all inspiring and, and powerful things. Um, and clearly there's a lot of people who are struggling and trying to find a career path, find something they're passionate about, right. try to make it out of their hometown to get somewhere else that's going to have more opportunities. What would your advice be to people in the struggle? Never give up. It's, um, if you see a fa if you see a way um, out, like take it don't don't underestimate yourself i got so many people that want to make it out they want to live their life and go somewhere else where it's less violent more affordable anything you know but there's things that there's all there's always going to be something that hinders you but how are you going to work around that like how are you going to make that hinder bend like there's there's always a way around. Just don't ever give up. That's that's the only thing I can really say is you know. So even if it's just time and time again you're getting beat down, you're getting no, you're getting people are making fun of you or putting you down or trying to cut into your accomplishments, it's just like no matter what, you can't stop. Yeah, you just gotta stay at it. A lot of people didn't think that I would be doing this. <laughs> I said I wanted to run the Portland Marathon last year. You know, I put a vote. I put a vote for Instagram. Thirty <laughs> percent said that I was gonna do the full marathon. That's how many people. And Seventy said no. Seventy people said no. Seventy percent. So you like put out a question on your social media that was yeah. like, "I'm gonna do Portland Marathon. Who thinks I can do it? And right. Who thinks I can't do it?" And this was months. Wait, this was months in of me showing results of me just doing like five, ten k. You know. And I'm like, it's not going to do a 26 miles. And were those your longest runs at that time? Yeah. Yeah. So you, you were running six miles, basically, longest run, 10K. Mm-hmm. 6.2 or whatever. Yeah. And you Jumped were up. stating this goal of, I'm going to do 26.2. Yeah. I said and I was ready. there was a lot of doubters. Oh, yeah. I like doubters. Doubters inspire me. If they doubt within themselves, that's why they doubt in me. <laughs> that's what I feel and that's what I know because yeah. I doubt myself sometimes and I doubt other people sometimes yeah. so that's how I would think about it but at the same time when you doubt in me you know 
that's just motivation for me. So, you know, I don't really take it either either way. You know, if they had all the confidence in me, then you know I would probably doubt myself even more than I was already doubting myself. Yeah. Or so, you'd have nothing to prove. Yeah. Like, well, yeah, of course you can do that. Right. Well, there's always something to prove to myself that I can do this yeah. because there's always times when I feel like giving up. And the biggest things about racing is that I see people running, and every time I say in my head that, okay, I need to slow down or stop real quick, I see someone else stopping. Literally, <laughs> I cannot make this up. Bridge to Bruce run. Man, the 10K was exhausting, and I definitely didn't think I was going to make it. And I had a time that I was aiming for, it was like 48 minutes. And you know it was it was going bad, and then I just kept seeing people stopping, and I'm like, nope. Every sometimes somebody else stopped. Nope. One more person stopped, and I said nope, and I got faster, and I just kept going, bro. I'm not stopping. It's uh, it's crazy how I'm teaching my body these things, cause it's like I, my body haven't known these things, so. It's like I need to do it a little bit more slower also. <laughs> yeah, take but, your time. You got a lot of miles ahead of you. Yeah, but it's just it's just too fun sometimes that I just, you know, when I'm not racing now, I just, sometimes I daydream just running, chilling, like thinking about how terrible life is. But like I said, it's a terrible, beautiful. What do you mean terrible life is? Because life is, life is exhausting. You know, I saw my little Brody down in the coffin. Life came life can't really come up from that but you know you can always make a way and that's what i'm saying just never give up you know ain't no way around it it's a beautiful struggle you know so you're saying like it's sort of at, at bottom line life is brutal yeah it's absolutely brutal and it's sad and it's tough and it's yeah all these things but like but it is what you what make it, it at so the you end of the day your head up and you gotta fight yeah. and you gotta do your thing if you if you ain't being positive about it or at least acceptance to it then you're not gonna make it it's like those days like i'm sure like we everyone has there's days when you doubt yourself or you a little bit probably i know you yeah you know, definitely you build confidence like a muscle and that's that's you can see that right i see that in you but i'm sure you still got some days where you doubt or you oh have hell those yeah. instincts to like oh man quit or be negative hell yeah so it's like how do you push through those you just you just think about I, people be inspired by you maybe or like yeah you know there's a lot of people that has hit me up and said they're inspired <laughs> really? and you know I, I still get surprised because you know I, I'm just too busy inspiring myself maybe and like I'm just I'm just trying to do my thing you know well, it's no question if you're if you're able to inspire yourself you're inspiring others right because we're the, our own harshest critics and judges right so yeah. you're able to impress yourself dude you sure as hell are impressing someone else i mean i would think <laughs> you gotta have a, a undoubtable thing about you i guess you just gotta be for certain just can no. live with conviction do your thing yeah. yeah so yeah doubt doubt yourself and be for certain though be for certain that you got this but have doubt you know to keep you going yeah to keep keep you wanting to prove yeah. yeah that's how I do it alright well thanks for your words and your wisdom and um, again really huge congratulations on all the stuff you've accomplished and 
you know, at 26, we got a lot more coming from you. Yeah. Excited to see all, all the projects that come and all the work you do in the future and the many, many miles you run. Yeah, and it's crazy because isn't this your 26th episode? It is. Wow. And we oh. just did 26 miles Sunday. Look at that. And I'm 26 and, well, now. No, that was your longest trail run of your life. Yes. <laughs> and it was a tough one. <laughs> Woo! It and wasn't easy. It was muddy. Yeah. You didn't have your trail shoes on, hey. which made it even more impressive. You know what I say. There's a will, there's a way. Exactly. Well, yeah. uh, again, thanks for being here. For sure. Keep killing it. I'm really happy to have you in the community. I'm glad, too. I'm glad to be a part of it. All right, Quaranta, Porter, 40, Paul Summers. See you soon. Yes, yes. Thank you. This wraps up another edition of the Get After It PDX podcast. For more information about today's guest, including social media links, please check out the show notes for this episode. Thanks for listening. Now it's your turn to get out there and get after it.